0: you're listening to the creating a brand podcast where we deliver weekly interviews on topics to help entrepreneurs make their first or next step in business the right one i am your host alex sanfilippo we live in a world that is changing faster and faster and this rapid rate of change will not slow down in fact we continue to see the rate of change accelerating the question is how can we thrive in a world of constant change today's guest has a solution for us her name is april Reni. Forbes has referred to April as one of the world's top 50 leading female futurists, and she's also the author of the book titled Flux, Eight Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. Today, April is going to share four superpowers with us that will enable us to thrive in this rapidly changing world, both personally and professionally. For links to resources that will be mentioned during this episode, please visit creatingabrand.com 122. And now here's my inspiring conversation with my friend, April Renee. bro. Welcome to the creating a brand podcast.
1: Thank you, Alex. I'm delighted to be here.
0: I've really been looking forward to having this conversation with you because this is a topic that's just so needed to be covered in today's world, how to thrive in a world of constant change. Change isn't going anywhere. and we're really going to dive into that today. And I want to quickly mention that I really appreciate you putting this book together. I can tell that it wasn't an overnight thing. Like this is a lot of experience. I can just tell from the pages. And it was a lifelong journey for you to be able to write this. So I just want to say thank you so much for putting your heart into this. You did a really great job with it.
1: Well, thank you. And it is true, even though it's a book about change and constant change and a world in flux. Um, it wasn't a book I wrote in 2020 or even about 2020, although 2020 was a wonderful catalyst and accelerant for my ideas. Um, I like to say that it's actually been the better part of the past 25 plus years in the making, even though it was a good three years or so to to write the book. And um, yeah, it's it's quite fun because as we like to talk about, it's it's both timely. I think when I say a world is in flux or tell me about what part of your life is in flux, people are like, oh, my God, what part isn't? And uh, at the same <laughs> right. time, you know, I think the future is more change. The future is more uncertain, more unstable, more flux. The future is not more certain. The future is not more stable. It's not more clear. And so, you know, the value of the book, the value of the ideas it contains, I think will continue to grow over time. And that's a good feeling. And that's where, too, like people who read it, I hope that it actually becomes more useful for you the more you think about it and reflect on it. It's not a kind of um, trendy or passing fancy kind of kind of piece.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think that it will become more and more valuable and more and more needed. So I'm hoping that today we'll be able to get into the hands of some of the listeners of creating a brand today. And with that said, I actually want to jump into just a really big questions. So I hope you're okay with that. Usually I kind of like ease into some of these questions. But I've got a real big one to, to start here, because I noticed on your website, you have a, a tagline that says change navigator. So as someone who's devoted their time to this idea and this topic of change, not only with this book, but also with all of your your prior jobs and things that you've done along the way, can you just share where you believe humanity's relationship with change is right now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And let's go for the big stuff first, because hey, (laughs) right, thank you. I'm
0: glad you're ready for it. it.
1: Life is short, you don't know how long you have, let's just dive right in. So just very briefly in terms of um, the lenses I bring to change, the perspectives I bring to change, um, and then I can sort of dive into change itself, but it's been one of these like mega, meta, universal themes that has occupied the better part of my life, certainly the last, as I said, 25 plus years. But most recently, it's been in my role as a futurist, and so I'm an advisor to startups, Established companies, governments, think tanks, nonprofits, a whole range of organizations, but in fairness, a lot of startups. And I've seen that every single organization struggles with change. Not necessarily in the same way, but it's hard. Governments tend to change really slow. Startups want to change really fast, but they often iterate and sometimes break things that aren't necessarily helpful. Um, you see these clashes between personalities, between goals, and so we're just, it's really messy, right? And then my entire career has been international, and as a result, I've been exposed to a lot of different cultures, peoples, places, every single culture on the planet throughout throughout human history also has struggled with change, but has discovered or developed different ways of dealing with it, seeing it, embracing it. And so as a kind of global citizen, if you will, I also want to bring all of these different learnings from around the world to one another, because there's just so much we can learn. So there's the kind of futurist angle, there's the global angle, and then there's just the very human angle, which I think a lot of us have experienced over the last year. But again, I kind of feel like the last year was a bit of a warm up for the kinds of change we're going to be experiencing in the future. Not that I hope or think it's necessarily a pandemic, cross my fingers, but I do think we're in for more uncertainty. And so, this very human approach to change, which is full of anxiety and fear and uncertainty and like what do you do when you when you're faced with something you've never seen before or you never imagined would hit your life. And so that piece um, you know, I often talk, them up, talk about my entry into flux or my baptism into flux, which did happen many years ago um, when I was 20 years old, and both my parents died in a car accident. And at the age of 20, whatever I thought my future was going to be, whatever I thought the world was going to look like, just changed. So I bring this up not because we, we can dive deep into it if you want, but more because I bring a very human approach to change. So using that as a kind of tee-up, it's fascinating. Our relationships to change are complicated and messy. Most humans tend to love change that we opt into. You know, I do. I'm guessing you do. A new place, a new food, a new relationship. Like, we love that kind of change. We really struggle with change we can't control, with change we didn't ask for, with change that kind of blindsides us on a Tuesday afternoon. And that's the kind of change we're talking about in a world in flux. And so sometimes you have might have heard people say, humans like we, how do you say it? We love the noun, we hate the verb. We love change, we hate being changed. Um, but what's really interesting to me is how little time we actually spend understanding our relationship to change. We spend all kinds of time reacting to it, kind of trying to make it go away or trying to manage it or control it, but not understanding what makes us tick from the inside out. And as I like to say, and as you saw, I say in the book, to discover what makes you you regardless of whatever else changes. And if you're clear on that, you're going to navigate change really well, or at least much better than people who aren't clear on that kind of thing. And, you know, that's kind of the starting point. And you start pulling on that thread and it just keeps unraveling in these really beautiful, useful, um, and I think very timely ways for today's society, whether that's, again, individually, organizationally, or societally.
0: That's great. That's a really just a, a holistic approach and idea behind what change is. So thank you so much for kind of establishing that baseline. That's going to be very helpful for the rest of this episode. And, you know, it leads me right into another question, because you've mentioned the word flux a few times and you talk about the solution to this inevitable change. That's always just going to be in front of us now and, and around us is to have this flux mindset. Can you talk about what that means from moment? Then we'll dive into some of the points.
1: Yeah, this is just so fun. Um, So the word flux, let's start with that, which is just kind of fun and fascinating, and people are usually familiar with it, but they're like, "Hmm, flux, what's that? Flux is actually both a noun and a verb. Most people know it as a noun, which it means continuous change, right? Flux is also a verb, and as a verb, it means to learn to become fluid. So I love that because in a way, we can think of it as the world is in flux, and we need to learn how to flux, how to become fluid, how to become comfortable with constant, relentless change, some of which is change you love, some of which is change you really wish had not happened. How can we learn to embrace it nonetheless? So as a result, and peeling back the layers of the onion around change and flux and uncertainty and all of that. Um, I landed on this concept of a flux mindset, which is the state of mind. That's what a mindset is. But it's also it's the ability to embrace all change, loved or hated, expected or unwelcomed as opportunity, not a threat, and also to harness its silver linings. I think that's the key where consistently over time, can you see any change, whether you wanted it or not, as an opportunity? The change that we love, it's easy to see as an opportunity. The changes we don't see, can you groove that mental muscle that sees all change, even the tough stuff, as opportunity? So that's kind of the basic premise. And then, you know, I like to say that the first step is just opening a flux mindset. And not that there's one way to do it. It's just acknowledging that your relationship to change can improve that there are certain kinds of change you really struggle with. And let's start with those, right? And then from there, you uh, take your flux mindset and unlock what I call the flux superpowers, which are more of the how to do all of this.
0: Hey, Alex Sanfilippo here, and I want to take a quick moment to intentionally serve the world with you. Here's what I want you to do. Think of the one person you know who would most benefit from listening to this episode today. Now, I want you to send it to them, but also include an encouraging note explaining why you share this episode with them specifically. By doing this, you're helping me grow this podcast, and you're also adding value to the people you care about. With that said, thank you for your continued support. It means the world to me. And now, let's get back to today's episode. I'm excited to dive into these actual superpowers now. We definitely won't get through all eight, but I pulled out a few that I think are going to be most impactful for the creating brand listeners today. And also a quick side note here, uh, April, I really like your passion and just uh, just your whole personality behind this. I can tell you are just really excited about this topic. So I, I like that a lot. I respect that. So excited to dive into these points here. So I want to start with one that that I think a lot of people probably immediately misunderstand and you call it run slower. And you say to thrive in this fast paced world, you have to slow your own pace. Can you explain this a little bit?
1: Absolutely. Yes. And I think especially for entrepreneurs, they're like, "Mm, nope, that's not my world.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. Let's
1: let's back up. And and I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and there's this immediate like, "Mm, no, I don't think you understand me as well as you think. But then I will say I explain what I mean by the superpower. And at the end, I have yet to have anybody say, whoa, whoa, that does not make a lot of sense. And I missed that mark. And I should also say, too, each of the eight flux superpowers are counterintuitive in some way. They're um, contrarian, some people say. They are um, provocative. And when you read them at first glance, in many, in many cases, not all, but in many of the cases, the immediate reaction is no, no. Society has taught me the other, the opposite. And then part of what we're doing with this book and this theme and this concept and the superpowers is unpacking how much of what society teaches you about how do you live your life and how to define success and value and all of these things, how much of that actually aligns with the world that you're living in today? Because the fact is, a lot of what we're taught, and I'm not, you know, this is not unique to any one culture or any one place on the planet or like, it's, universal. But a lot of what we've been taught about the world at large is not fit at all for a world that's in flux. And it's not really that fit for a world that wants to put humans first. Um, and I don't mean humans as, as, at the cost of other species, so to speak. I just mean a human-centric, right. a human-centric society, a human-centric way in which all humans can thrive. So back to run slower, the tagline or the way that I like to describe it is that in an ever faster paced world, or a world with an ever faster pace of change, the way that we thrive is to to slow our own pace. So people are like, wait a minute, that does not make sense. So think about it for a moment. Well, one way I like to tee this up is that the pace of change has never been as fast as it is today. And yet, it is likely to never again be this slow. Now, just pause for a moment and let that sink in, right? It's it's kind of exciting. And at the same time, it's kind of terrifying, right? However right. fast you think the pace is today, it's going to be faster tomorrow and faster next week and faster next year. And then, think about what society tells us to do when the pace of change increases when it quickens it says you need to run faster you need to keep up just keep going just run faster whether you're on a hamster wheel or whatever but anyway i'm looking at this and this is where it's interesting because i'm i'm a futurist so i'm looking at this going okay play this out into the future what do we get if you know and i know and every person listening knows that every day from here on out the pace of change is going to get faster and then you think about, okay, well, I'm going to do what society says. You know that the rest of your life is played out running faster every single day. And you already feel burned out. You already feel like you can't not even do, it, do enough in a given day. Information's missing, passing you by. Um, opportunities are passing you by. Relationships are being compromised. Like, there's all kinds of stuff. And you go, wait a minute. If I know that I'm supposed to run ever, ever faster every day from here on out, I'll be really honest, at best that looks like burnout, really bad burnout, but at worst it kind of looks like a train wreck in which no person on the planet fully reaches their true potential. And at an extreme, what I like to say is when we run ever faster, we actually run past life itself. And so running slower, you'll note, I still use the word run. I am not saying stop. I'm not saying do nothing. I'm not saying be lazy. Be lazy. I'm saying run, and at times it makes sense to run faster. Vaccinations are a good case in point. Run as fast as you can to find a cure. Um, There are other times when you're in the flow and you just want to keep going faster. I'm not saying don't do any of that. I'm saying on the whole, we have to take responsibility for adopting a sustainable pace that allows us to go slow enough to see what really matters, to pay attention to make not fast decisions, but wise decisions, and to be able to see other humans and opportunities as they pass us by. Because when we're running ever faster, we don't see any of that. And so we end up missing, I think, the best parts of life, and including for entrepreneurs, yes, it's a fast-paced world. But I can assure you, I've seen far too many entrepreneurs run ever faster and A, drive their business into the ground, B, miss what it actually was that that their business should be doing because they're going after what they think society thinks they should be doing, et cetera, et cetera. So it sort of plays out in lots of different ways, but that's the heart of that particular superpower, which, you know, I have yet to find anybody who's like, wow, I I wish I did feel a little less anxious. I wish I didn't um, flirt with burnout as often as I do. And so I'm speaking to that part as well.
0: You know, at the end of this chapter, you had a question that I just thought was so powerful that I want to read before moving on here. And you said this, you said, if you slowed down, what do you think you'd discover? And I just think that's such a powerful question. I think that everyone should ask themselves that, like, really slow down, write that down and think about, like, what do you think you'd discover if you just stopped to breathe for a moment?
1: Yeah. And at the end of each chapter, I have these questions. Like the book, as as you saw, it is designed to be very kind of user friendly and lots of exercises, and call-out boxes, and questions, because a lot of what we're trying to do here is get to know our, your, my, each individual's relationship to change, and that requires a kind of reflection, um, and so it, it's fun, because it's the kind of stuff that we all deserve to be doing a lot more of, but unless we stop and take responsibility and hit the pause button, no one's going to do it for us, and the hard part about that is it, it is up to you, but when you do it, you actually can own and own and take control, if you will, of your life in a much, much better way than if you're, again, constantly just running after the next thing that's on your radar or the next thing that's on your to do list.
0: Well, April, my love language, if this can be one is practical application. So thank you for, for that at the end of each chapter. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on here to we're gonna we're gonna skip down to number five, this is your fifth super, superpower that you talk about. And it's no, you're enough. And uh, it's not like, no, you are enough. It's no, you're enough. So what's enough for you? Can you talk about this point?
1: I love this. And I love that you bring that up, because I've had a lot of people say, Ooh, that's a typo. <laughs> it's and and I'm very cautious. And I have a section in the chapter about this where I say, knowing you're enough includes knowing that you are enough. So we can come back to that. But know you're enough. This is really getting at the heart of our obsession with more. And we are living, again, society is drilling it into our head every day that we will never be enough, have enough, earn enough, do enough, but that more is what makes us valuable and that we're always craving more, whether it's physical possessions you own, whether it's money, power, prestige, all of that. I'm not saying that more is bad by any means. I'm saying we have become obsessed to our detriment with believing that the only thing that's better is more. And so this notion, we play on the concept of more and enough. And when it comes to more, there's both a psychology of more and think about how often we're told that we are simply not enough. We will only be valued if we have more. And think about even for you, for me, anyone listening, I kind of tease this out. When will you be happy? It's usually only when I've done this next thing. And that's a form of more. I will be happy when, as opposed to, I'm actually happy right now. Enough, so when we flip from this more to enough, we explore kind of the background of enough and what does it mean, and it really starts to get into issues or themes of sufficiency. So more is having just the right amount, not too much, not too little. Anything more than enough is often termed greed or excess or whatever. That actually could be used to help other people. So whether it's ho- so hoarding, keeping everything for me because I want more versus what if everyone could actually have enough? And think about how many people today in the world don't have enough. Now, here I'm talking, we can think about money and housing and healthcare and food and those sorts of things. We can also think about having enough love, having enough dignity, having enough sense of belonging. Um, those are all also forms of enough. And so the punchline I like to bring up to kind of t- or sum up this superpower is that when you are focused on more, you will never find enough. But when you know you're enough, you will immediately begin to find abundance. And that applies in a lot of different ways. I think everything from how much capital do you need to start your business to what qualifies as a successful thriving business. Do you have to have more customers? Do you have to have more revenues? I would argue if you've built a thriving, sustainable business, sometimes your enough is just keeping that thriving business thriving. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to have more money, more customers, et cetera. Oftentimes, I don't know about you, but I've seen where um, entrepreneurs, particularly those who love the startup phase, once they've grown something big, like too big, or I shouldn't say too big, um, that they have to manage and scale and all they lose their passion. They actually really like the build phase, and they love the times that they actually can have more human connections as opposed to you know managing something that's more anonymous. So I bring that up because it also, again, speaks to the kind of human centricity of a lot of what Flux has to say.
0: You uh, have a quote in this whole this whole topic here of, "Know you're enough. And it's from, I'm probably butchering the name, but I think it's Lao Tzu is how I say it, maybe? Lao Tzu, okay. yeah, I,
1: Lao Tzu, Chinese philosopher,
0: exactly. You're more explored than I am, so I figured you'd have it better than I would, but I'm, <laughs> I'm happy here I did okay with that. Anyway, yes. Lao Tzu says, he who knows that enough is enough will always have enough. Now, I think that quote really just embodies everything that you just shared there. It's just so important that we really define this for ourselves. So, again, with the excess, you could even serve other people. And that actually leads me straight into your seventh superpower that you talk about, and it's to be all the more human and serve other humans. We live in a world that is just run by robots and screens these days, so I'd love to hear more about what you mean by the humanity aspect of things.
1: Yeah, and it's a good moment, too, to kind of not pause but say – Each of these superpowers, what I'm trying to help people do is better understand themselves and their relationship to change from the inside out, but also, what are the superpowers that we need to thrive in a world in constant change? And this superpower, so for example, um, running slower, actually, when you know how to run slower and change hits, you are much better paced to respond to that change or figure out what needs to happen because you've slowed down enough to be paying attention. Knowing you're enough, if you're actually not focused on ever more, ever more, ever more, if you know you're enough, change hits. It is much easier to pivot. It is much less expensive. It is much less burdensome. I mean, it's all these kinds of things. So again, directly related to change. In the case of be all the more human, this does speak exactly as you just said, it's a lot about our relationship to technology versus our relationship to one another. And I think with entrepreneurs, too, a lot of them, I'm sure, focused on technological innovation and entrepreneurship. I am not saying that smartphones are bad. I am not anti-tech, none of that. Right. All I'm saying is that we are spending ever more time with our screens and our devices and ever less time with one another. And I think it's very fair to say that technology can unite us. It can also divide us. It can make us believe in ourselves a little bit more. It can also kill our very sense of being. We have online connections. We have online bullying. We have, you know, so we got to be really careful about what's going on here. And so, this superpower, it does say that, you know, in a world with more robots—and I use the term you know, robots writ large—more right. um, technology, we need to be all the more human. We need to show up in our full humanity. We need to enhance our, what I call digital intelligence or your DQ, uh, which we can dive into as well, which goes beyond um, your IQ or your EQ. And digital intelligence is really about not, it's not about do you know how to build an app or write code? Having high digital intelligence means do you know when to put your device down and have a human face-to-face conversation? Do you judge your, um, ability to solve problems based on what technologies you have available, or actually based on human wisdom and what some people call the technology of human consciousness. And I'm not saying humans are not perfect. We are by no means the smartest species out there by a long shot, I think. But we run a real risk by assuming that technology is going to solve a lot of problems that we face today, which are fundamentally human problems. But as a As part of that, the challenge is that technology has distanced us from one another. And so this notion of being all the more human is about bringing our full humanity back to life, back to work, back to conversations, relationships, how we spend our time and getting off of technology from time to time because it is only a means. It is not an end in and of itself. And more and more, I think we run the risk of seeing technology as a kind of holy grail. And when we do that, we see it with automation already. Um, when we do that, we run a real risk of putting kind of humanity under the bus. And so this superpower is about making sure that doesn't happen. But again, coming back to what happens when change hits, humans, we will, technology will not help you as a human navigate change. It may help you get from point A to point B. It may help you make a mobile payment on your phone. It, may, you know, it, it does these tasks, but fundamentally moving forward, you know, I imagine too, like imagine that your technology didn't, your smartphone didn't exist for a day. Without GPS, could you get from A to B? I don't know that many people could these days. So it's kind of uncovering, going back to basics about our, the importance of being in connection, in relationship with other humans, Because that's how you're actually going to navigate change and keep your humanity and your joy and your spirit intact, as opposed to, you know, feeling nervous, anxious, etc, when when things don't go as you plan or when change hits.
0: Yeah, you know, we find that. Technology can can be very unhealthy at the same time, like it 's made to do good, but it can be unhealthy if we are out of balance with it and me as a i mean i 'm a software as a service founder, so like I'm, I mean I live on a computer unfortunately, but i 've built really good discipline when it comes to being on my phone like I make sure i 'm not on it after work a lot, like I put it down i 'll make plans for almost every night of the week with my wife to go out with other people, and we make sure that we 're active in our church like we 're around the people that we care about. I do that because I know that a lot of my time let's just say eight hours a day usually is spent working on software and growing the business. But when I'm not doing that, I want to make sure that I'm around other humans. So I have that connection. I think that's just really, really important for our health overall to have, because the anxiety that comes with being too much online is, is a real thing. And I think that most people would admit to, to having that from being on their phone or their computer too much.
1: Absolutely. And for entrepreneurs, any one of them, it's, this is where it gets really interesting. It's both like, how do you want to live your life? What what does it mean for you, like internally, individually, but also if you're building a company, and these days, I think the vast majority have some kind of tech or digital component, right? Are you thinking about making sure that all of your customers can keep that humanity that you do not? I mean, what's sad, and this is where we start getting into a lot of blind spots around technology, right? You want your customers to spend as much time on your app as possible, and then you're like, no, I actually want my customers to go and live their life. That you actually want to help your customers be all the more human. You want to design for that. You do not want to design where technology is the central kind of vortex within which you're or you're um, you're catching people, so to speak. So you know, ultimately, and again, this isn't. It's not rocket science. It's actually really fundamental, basic human stuff. And technology, it sounds like you're actually um, very well aligned with this superpower because technology is a total, it's a total help. It's a great thing if used in moderation, if used, um, you know, in ways that enhance us as opposed to replace us or uh, forget about us kind of thing. So um, I like what you just said a lot.
0: Yeah. And you know, this actually leads me right into to this next and final point here, because I know you do a lot of work with with startups and probably a lot of tech companies, as you're saying, and this is your eighth point that you talk about, let go of the future. And I kind of smile a bit when I say that, because you referred yourself as a futurist earlier. So I'm like wondering how you're a futurist. It says let go of the future. (laughs) Can you can you explain that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. And um, it's great, Alex, because this is probably the one superpower where people are like, no way. Like, what are you telling? like? No, no. And again, like I said, these things are these superpowers are counterintuitive. They're sort of contrarian. And this one speaks directly to that. So at the outset, another caveat, when I say let go of the future, I do not mean give up. I do not mean fail. I do not mean, you know, oh, my God, just going to like let everything go to the wind. Not at all. What this is really talking about, and it's, it's, it's kind of one of those meta superpowers when it comes to a world in flux, we're really looking at our relationship to control. Humans want to control, predict the future. We are hell-bent on knowing what's going to happen. And, you know, I'm all for having goals, making plans, trying to make sure things happen. The challenge we face today is that we've become obsessed with needing to know exactly how the future is going to play out and that it needs to be this one future that goes my way. That's making us crazy too. So let go of the future says really that in order to thrive in a world in flux, we need to let go of the future and get out of our own ways in order to let a better future emerge. So when we're so obsessed with, I need one kind of future or, you know, a a very specific kind of future to play out Mm. and it needs to be to my benefit, like we have this kind of linear view of what, what we want the future to look like. And then we do everything we can to like help make that happen. And I'm not, again, not saying that's bad, but the problem is no one, neither you nor I, we cannot predict what's going to happen tomorrow. We can't predict what's going to happen this afternoon much less a year from now. And the amount of mental cycles that we spend trying to predict and control and, you know, triage all of this, we're wasting a lot of energy that actually could be put breathing oxygen into a whole bunch of different kinds of futures that could play out. But we don't know exactly which one. So as a futurist, yes, I do get some um, pushback on this but not really. And why I say that is because in the world of futurism, one of the most often used or most popular, I guess you could say, tools is what's called scenario planning. And in scenario planning, what you're doing, because as a futurist, you're trying to help an organization or a group of people, whatever, understand where might the future be heading and how might you and your organization fit into it. And so as part of that, Um, It does require being very humble and saying, like, no one knows how the future is going to play out. But we're going to map or plan out a whole bunch of different scenarios, future scenarios that could happen. So scenario mapping, scenario planning is this process of casting all kinds of of visions. And some of them are wild and crazy. I mean, you definitely want to include futures you you never imagine will actually happen. I think the last year has been a good example of something we couldn't imagine happening. And then It did, and it did more than that. So you go through this vision or this mapping process of cast out all the different scenarios, and then you play with those scenarios. And you say, well, if this happened, then what would I do? And if that happened, then what would we do? And, you know, you kind of toy around with it. And what's interesting is that you find, if you do this enough, you find that pretty much never does any one of those scenarios play out exactly as you expect. But certain elements of many different kinds of scenarios do. And so you're able to say, oh, we talked about that. Where did we go with that? And you're sort of weaving together a different kind of fabric. So when I say let go of the future, let go of that any one future is going to play out. But instead, spend your energy and your time preparing for many different kinds of future in which all of them you can thrive. All of them, you can find new opportunities, grow your business, you name it. But each one looks very different from the other. And none of them do you have control over. So that's when I explain it that way, my futurist friends are like, well, yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. Right. So it's it's not um, again, it's it's a shift. It's a shift from trying to predict to trying to predict any one future to trying to prepare for many different kinds of future. But that's, um, you know, again, it's a mindset shift in terms of how we think about, talk about, relate to um, this, this desire to control the future.
0: What you're sharing sounds so much healthier than the traditional alternative, which is like, let's plan this thing out. Let's make sure we hit all of our numbers this quarter, next quarter, this year, next year, right? Before I was doing this, I was working for an aerospace company, we focused below the atmosphere. And we had 35 years of data, we were part of a multi billion dollar organization, like, we could tell you exactly what we could do, or we thought we could. And then 2020 hit and even a company has 35 years of data, which no tech company has that, by the way, uh, that's starting up or anything like that, anyone has any sort of digital product, like you don't have that much data, even we couldn't predict what was going to happen. And we had a very one track mind. And it caused a lot of stress in the senior leadership. I mean, shareholders were I, I doubt they were sleeping, you know, there was all kinds of things that were going on in that business it's because we had just a one track mind of here's what's going to happen. And we know it's going to happen. But there was just no way to predict it. So I think that what you're really laying out here is just a much healthier approach of let's just go through a bunch of scenarios. Like if this happens, then what, and it really puts your mind at ease, because you've thought through many different things that could happen.
1: So that I love that you bring up this ease, you're spot on and your example is spot on. Also, and um, what I find is that when people really dig into this superpower and think about developing it and start practicing it, there's an incredible sense of peace. There's also this sense of empowerment because, you know, it sounds a little bit trite. I think we do know that no one can control. You can't control what happens, but you can control how you respond. You can't control the whatever the one future is that does play out but you can control which of the many futures you contribute to and there's something really really relaxing about that because you can invest time effort money whatever in in a in different futures or in the preparation for those different futures that may play out and then you do kind of have to let go of the rest And when you can let go, people say, my God, again, I've had so many mental cycles that were trying to just fit everything into this one box. The the box was not of my making. The box was beyond my control. And that's really gratifying. The other thing I just want to tee up here, and this relates to your um, prior employer, as well as I think a lot of companies out there, which is what I was saying at the very outset, looking to the future, um, I mean, I hope we never have a year like 2020 with so much upheaval at once, right? Um, I do think we are going to see more of the seismic changes, the changes that are really just systemic, holistic, and require a different way of showing up in the world. Um, I think climate is probably one of the biggest ones, just, just as a thing. I mean, we're seeing it this summer. We're seeing it every year now. Automation is another really just big systemic shift that's going to disrupt a lot of things and a lot of change that we can't quite grasp right now. And so being able not just to do scenario planning, but learning how to let go of the future, it's going to serve us more, not less, moving forward, because 2020, I think, gave us a wake up, um, was a little bit of a um, yeah a test case for for how well or how poorly we are yeah. um, dealing with change. And so that's where this one too really, it's just start grooving it today because you're going to need it more moving forward. And, and what's exciting is when you realize, oh, I could actually change how I relate to change. I could change how I think about the future and, and whether I'm able to let go of it. When you realize that the answers, being able to do this, it's all within your own head. It's all within your own hands. It's all within your own power. That's really exciting, too, because there's so much that's beyond what we can do today. But this kind of thing, this grooving of this superpower and this practicing the ability to let go, um, it's something every single one of us can start practicing and start doing today
0: hundred percent. That's, that's well said. I appreciate your optimism with all this as well. And I learned so much from this book and from this conversation as well. And before we end our time together, I want to just bring up the final chapter of the book, which you titled Fluxing Forward. And as we're again, coming to a close here, I'd love for you just to share some, some wisdom with us, kind of a final thought, if you will, uh, for the listeners today.
1: Sure. So in Fluxing Forward, it was interesting. And I was, I was joking about this earlier where, um, pretty early in the process of writing the book, it became clear that there was more than one book in this, that, you know, there's kind of the individual relationship to change, but there's organizations in flux, there's leadership in flux, there's um, cultures in flux, identity in flux, all sorts of things. And so it's a real fun kind of um, call it fractal or scale free. Like the concept, anything can be in flux, and so I like to remind people that like I think a lot of us feel like our work life is in flux these days. Um, last year, I know also like a lot of home life, family life is in flux right now. Reopening is in flux. Um, How's it going to look? You know, take your pick of what's resonating most with you. But flux is this super super. Um, useful and malleable concept that can carry you through life. And so as I like to say, when everything is in flux, everything can benefit from a flux mindset. So that's always a nice kind of line to, to wrap up with. Um, but also harking back on what I was just saying that even though thinking about a world in flux and all this massive change, it's, it's overwhelming. And a lot of people just kind of want to, you know, like, like run for cover but the message i carry is incredibly uplifting this is this is a super exciting time to be alive this is a super exciting time to step into change like some people dream about getting opportunities like this we've all just been dealt that but that in doing that i i am not saying we don't actually need any technology we don't already have it doesn't take any amount of money that you may or may not have It doesn't take anything. We've got this wisdom inside ourselves. A lot of it needs to be kind of uncovered and rediscovered, but this isn't something we need to wait to have happen or that we can only do, again, if we get to that point of more or whatever. Like, everything you need to do to develop a flex mindset, you can do starting today. You can do with the wisdom and the being and the person that you are right now. And it doesn't require anything that you don't already have. So that's something I also like to kind of um, remind people of, because I think there's a lot of that that sense, again, of what we can't control. Developing a flex mindset, it is all up to you.
0: I love that. You're you're just empowering people as we close out here. You're telling people you can start this today. You can make this happen right away. April, I'm so appreciate your time and thankful for this conversation today. Thank you for being a guest on the Creating a Brand podcast.
1: Thank you so much, Alex. This has been just an absolute delight.
0: I appreciate you. Before having this conversation with April, whenever I'd think about how fast the world is changing, it would often lead to feelings of stress or anxiety. But thanks to this conversation, April has helped me gain a new perspective and mindset. I now know that I can choose to operate within these superpowers that she explained which will better position me to begin thriving through change. I hope that you learned as much as I did from this conversation. April, thank you again for being a guest and bringing your positive energy and wisdom on the topic of thriving through change. For links to April Renee's book, Flux, please visit creatingabrand.com slash 122. Thank you as always for listening. I'm looking forward to bringing you another Masterclass episode next week.